in Colossians chapter 3. Let me read this entire section again so that we can put the last verse in the context of the ones that go before it. We're going to focus on verse 17 this evening, but let's read verses 12 through 17. Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts or with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray and ask that God would open up, especially these last words to us, whatever you do, in word or deed, even my words this evening, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. May God write these words on our hearts. Let's pray to that end. Our Father in heaven, as we were commanded here in this passage, we come before you with thanksgiving through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the studies that we've had in previous weeks. We thank you that you've helped us as we sought to explain and apply those words and as we've sought to live those words, uh, this congregation in the past weeks. Now we ask that you would take this word, that the word of Christ not only would dwell richly within us, but that we would do all according to his word and for his glory, that we would do all in his name and speak all in his name and that you would be glorified through us even this evening as we gather to worship you. So help us use your word mightily. May it accomplish, we know it will accomplish your purpose according to your promise, but we do plead with you that it would accomplish the salvation of those who are still in darkness. We ask this through the merits of our Savior. Amen. Now, in this last verse of the passage, the Apostle Paul gives us what I would like to call a kind of a a leather man tool or a Swiss army knife, if you will, something that we can take with us. It fits in our pockets. We can take it wherever we go and use this tool in every situation that we find that we face day by day. But again, to put this in its context, let me just briefly review for you what we've seen in verses 12 through 17. And I hope it's not tedious for you, but it it makes it all fit together as we remember what Paul has has done for us, what he's revealed to us, what he's applied to us in these verses. First of all, in verse 12, we saw that threefold address of the Christian man, of the Christian people, 
We are the elect of God. We are holy and beloved of God. Then secondly, we saw that five-fold garment of Christian character in verses 12 and 13. They were to put on tender mercies, as the New King James puts it, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering or patience. These are characteristics that ought to mark every Christian. These are the five-fold garment of Christian character. Then we saw how especially this last unfolds in the forgiving nature of Christian fellowship, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, that we are to forgive as Christ forgave us. Then we saw that beautiful overcoat of Christian love in verse 14. Above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, the beautiful overcoat. And I trust that even if you may be warm and snug in your homes, you have this overcoat of Christian love. But then we saw in the next place in verse 15, Fifthly, the peaceful umpire of the Christian body says, let the peace of God or of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. And then there is in verse 15 through 17, we saw that grateful attitude of the Christian heart. In verse 15, he ends with, and be thankful. And we saw that we're to sing with thankfulness, as I believe it's properly translated in verse 16. Sing with thankfulness in your hearts. And verse 17 ends, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We're to have a thankful attitude. And then we saw in verse 16 that prime source of Christian teaching and praise. We're to speak to one another. We're to teach one another. We're to admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. How? Because the word of Christ dwells richly within us. And I trust that this past week, as you've gone through the week, that you did not forget what you heard last Lord's Day. And I trust that I did not, and I don't believe I did, came back to me several times during the week. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. Now as we come to the last verse in this section, again, this Swiss army knife, this leather man tool that you can apply in every situation, what is it? Verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. There it is. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, we're going to analyze these words under three headings. First of all, the meaning of the command. What does it mean to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, in his name? What does that mean? Secondly, the extensiveness of the command. Do all, whatever you do. Everything. So this is, uh, applies to every area of life. Everything we do and we speak in the name of Jesus. And then thirdly, the application of this command. Do everything in word or deed in his name. And so uh, we'll seek to apply that. Let's begin then. What is the meaning of this command? What does the apostle mean? What does the Holy Spirit mean when he commands us through the apostle Paul, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Well, of course, he's not saying that we should uh, rattle off the name of the Lord Jesus in every activity, that we should, uh, like some uh, televangelists or some of these uh, preachers uh, of modern days who rattle off Jesus' name as if it were a sort, some sort of a magical uh, uh, potion or some sort of a magical chant that if we say in Jesus' name, uh, then we'll be blessed. We're not going to do that, and that's not what the Apostle is commanding, that we use Jesus' name, as it were, really, in vain. What does he mean then? Well, it means we do all that we do through Christ as our mediator. We do all that we do with Christ as our end for his glory. We do all that we do with Christ as our king, according to his word and command. And we do all that we do with Christ as our strength, trusting in his strength to do his will. And so these four things, I believe, summarize what he means when he says, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So let's take them up one at a time. We do all that we do with Christ as our mediator. We do all that we do cleansed by his blood. We pass everything we do through him. We have no confidence in the flesh. Our confidence is in his work, in his blood, in his righteousness. We wash our best, most religious acts in the blood of the Lord Jesus. Even our most holy actions, we know, are tainted by sin. How often has it been that you're singing a hymn there in the pew and the thought crosses your mind? Wow, I'm a pretty, I sang that pretty well. Or my voice is pretty strong there. Or what is this? But rank pride infecting the very act of praising the name of our God. Our praise, our worship needs to be cleansed in the blood of the Lord. Or we're there in prayer meeting, and a brother is leading in prayer, and our mind wanders to think of what's going on at work, or our activity of the morrow. And then we still say amen at the end. Our best works, our most holy actions, are tainted by sin. And so we need to do all that we do conscious that we need the blood of Jesus to wash us from our stains. We thank God then. Again, thankfulness comes right next. We give thanks to the Father through Him because we have such a Savior who cleanses us from every stain of sin. Never forget this. Our songs, our prayers, yes, our sermons need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so we do all conscious that we have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Secondly, we do all with Christ as our end for His cause and for His glory. As Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians 10.31, another good verse to memorize. So what, whether then... You eat or drink or whatever you do. Again, one of those uh, fit, one size fits all, one of those Leatherman tools you can carry with me. He says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
He doesn't say do all in the name of Jesus. He says do all to the glory of God. And so, same thing. When we do things in Jesus' name, we do it for his glory. Even in the most mundane, everyday activity that you hardly give a thought to, eating or drinking. Now, of course, we give thanks when we eat. Uh, we give thanks to God for our food. All things are cleansed or are sanctified through prayer. And so we can eat with thanksgiving. But after we give thanks, you know, we, we just carry on. But we do it to his glory. We do it for his honor. So, too, in other things, work and play, time with the kids. And some of us have a lot of time with the kids, which is a good thing. And uh, even relations of a husband and wife, we do it for his glory. How can this be? Because he, these are all his gifts. And we take his gifts and we praise him. And so we also ask, will this action glorify God? And we know if it's according to his will, we can do it to his glory. That doesn't mean that everything that's done in, in some way of, in conformity to his law is going to glorify him. No, it needs to have the right motive as well. We do it for his glory. We honor him. That doesn't mean that we're conscious every moment of every day that, oh, I'm going to do this for the glory of my Savior. Uh, that that uh, psychologically, I, I don't think anybody works that way. It's not realistic. But we are conscious when we wake up, when we have our devotions, when we read our Bible, when we pray, that we're committing to God our whole life. That's why I believe it's a good thing. I'm not going to mandate it as though it were a scriptural precept. But I would say it's a good thing to begin your day with God. Open your Bible in the morning to plead with God. Commit your day to Him. And so that you do all that day for his cause, for his glory. And so we filter things through. Can I watch this show to God's glory? Can I say these words to my husband or my wife to his glory? Or is it carnal anger and frustration? Will this glorify my Savior who loved me? And gave himself up for me. Again, it's a, a tool we can pull out. It's a filter, if you, were, if you will, to strain out the virus of sin from our speech and from our actions. Is this going to glorify God? Well, then thirdly, if we do all, whatever we do, word or deed, in his name, we're going to do it according to his will. We're going to do it under his direction. We're going to do it according to what he says in his word. We're not going to do it willy-nilly. We're not going to do it taking orders from ourselves. We do not uh, follow our own whims and our own way, but we seek to do what we do according to his will. Now, let me just take you know, our work. So you go to work, you do your work according to his will, without thieving, without cheating, without lying. Well, let me take my work, the pastor. Whatever we do, we do in the name of the Lord Jesus. The pastor's work is under the authority of Scripture, the Word of Christ. 
We don't preach based on our opinion. We're not writing our own verses into the Bible. This is not, if I may put it this way, an Acts 29 church. And some of you may be aware that some churches style themselves that way. As a way, we're the continuation of what the Holy Spirit is doing. But that's writing themselves into the book of God. We are not inspired apostles. We are not carrying on His work as inspired apostles. We take the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament as the basis for whatever we do and say. We plant our flag in the Old and New Testaments. And we say, thus saith the Lord. This is what gives authority to preaching. It's not, I think so. The commentaries I read say so. It's the Word of God says so. We do our work according to His will and His Word. We have no right to change the marching orders of our general, of our king. We take His Word and we do our work according to His Word. And so it it applies to every job, every situation. We take His will, summarized in the Ten Commandments, and yes, that is a summary of the will of God for us. And so, no other gods besides Him. We don't worship money. We don't have idols. We don't have images. We don't use His name irreverently. We remember His day. Yes, it's God's will on this day. If we're going to do something on this day, in the name of our Lord Jesus, we do it remembering that this day is to be kept holy. We respect the authorities over us. Honor your father and mother. Honor the authorities over us here in the state of New Jersey. We respect and protect life. You shall not murder. And that is another reason why we're not meeting gathered here together, but we're meeting in separate homes. Why? Because we respect and honor life, and we want to protect life, and we want to avoid disobeying the sixth commandment by spreading a virus that would kill. We keep marriage undefiled. We respect property rights. We we seek to speak in strict accordance with truth. And we keep sin, we aim, we seek, we strive to keep sin out of our hearts, the sin such as coveting. And so these are things which are in accordance with God's Word. We can do these. We know that when we do these, we're doing them in Jesus' name because it's according to His will. But then in the fourth place, if we're going to do all in the name of Jesus, it means we do all with confidence and trust in Him and His strength. We are not here trusting in our own might. We don't have confidence that uh, we can handle this situation. We are sending missionaries to the ends of the world, and we have confidence that because of this, we will see churches planted. We have no confidence in the flesh. We have no confidence that our church is such a church that we ought to have conferences, missions conferences, men's conferences, women's retreats, deacons conferences, young people's conferences, singles conferences. We're such a church that we can do this. It's not because of our strength 
that we have such conferences and that we do such things and we send missionaries all around the world to uh, various places, Philippines. There's a church there. Why? Because we're a good church and we planted a good church? No. There's a church in Pakistan. Is it because of us? No. A church in Hong Kong. Is it because? No. It's because of Christ. He has blessed the proclamation of his word the spread of his gospel. And if we see a church planted in South Korea, will it be because we are wise? No, we have no confidence in the flesh. Our confidence is in our God, that he's able to do exceeding abundantly. As we heard in our prayer meeting yesterday, above and beyond all that we can ask or even think. Let me read a passage from the Old Testament that illustrates this point of what I'm trying to say. With When we do things in Christ's name, we do them in confidence, with confidence in Him and not in ourselves. Let me read from that incident, very familiar incident of David and Goliath. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, notice how David answers this giant. 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 43, and I'll read down through verse 47. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now remember, this guy's nine foot six. And here's David, who is but a youth, ordinary-sized youth, not especially tall. Saul was tall, but not David. He was just an ordinary-looking guy, ready of a handsome appearance, yes, but that's not going to win a battle. And so this giant comes and taunts David and taunts his God. Listen to what David says in response. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you, listen, in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. What gave David such boldness in the face of such uh, circumstances, adverse circumstances, impossible odds? <laughs> because he trusted in the name of his God. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And so what happened? You know the story. One stone in a slain nailed the giant in his temple. Down he goes. And David cuts off his head with the giant's own sword. And so, what is our confidence as a church? What is our confidence when we face such circumstances of virus and so on and so forth? It's not our strength. Our confidence is in the name of our God. And so, that's what it means 
when he says, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We do all with him as our mediator. We do all with him as our end, with him as our king, and with him as our strength. May that stay with you day by day. This week, yes, and throughout your life. That whatever you do, you do in the name of the Lord Jesus. Notice in the second place, though, going back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Notice in the second place, the extensiveness of the command. Do all whatever you do in word and in deed in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever. And the Greek multiplies these words which mean all. You, you might translate it, verse 17, and everything, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all. And so it's underscoring that the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, have in mind every activity under the sun. Everything you do and say. Now, let's take them up. Every word, whether in word or deed. Words. Before a word is on our tongue, and that is, as it's a thought in our mind, here's a good filter. Will this be spoken for his glory according to his word? Will this be spoken with confidence in him? Will this be spoken uh, with him as our mediator? Yes, I need him to cleanse my speech. And so we filter our words. Backbiting. Gossip. Tailbearing. Complaining. Moaning. Whining. Sniping. Gutless talk, will that glorify my Savior? And so as we filter our words before they come out of our mouths, and of course that implies that we need to have, as it were, a bridle for our tongue, as Paul says elsewhere, bridle your tongue, or James rather, that we need to have a, constructed a bridle for our tongue. Well, here is one of those materials to have a bridle for your tongue. Will this, can I say this in Jesus' name, will it glorify him? And then we take out this Leatherman tool, this uh, Swiss Army knife, and apply it to our deeds. Is this action, this behavior, this place I am going, this show I am going to watch, this activity, this recreation, this discipline of my child, this treatment of my wife or husband, this lack of action, this doing of nothing, this recreation, will this, can I do this in Jesus' name? That would keep us out of a lot of sin. Filter your words and your deeds through this verse. But then I would add, because we of course know that we not only sin in our words and our deeds, but we can also sin in our thoughts. And so I would add, not writing between the lines, not adding to Scripture, but uh, taking out what this implies... A good and necessary consequence of this is that even our thoughts and intentions need to be to the glory 
of Christ as well and done in his name. Even though they're not mentioned, let's just take your words. Where do your words come from? Luke 6.45, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart, I'll just quote the verse, brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And so, if your heart is filled with garbage, don't be surprised if it's going to have garbage come out of your mouth. But if your heart is pure, if your heart is glorifying to Christ, if your heart is according to his word, if your heart is bathed in his blood, your heart will spill out words that are pleasing to him. How about your deeds? Where do your deeds come from? Mark 7, 21 to 23. And again, I'll quote the verses. Actually, I'm reading them from my notes. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things, and some of them, of course, were words, slander, and so on. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. The point is, outward deeds, words that come from our mouth, these all proceed from the heart. They reveal the state of the heart. And so if your words and your deeds are to be done according to the word of Christ, for the glory of Christ, uh, if they're to be done with him in view, it means our hearts, first of all, need to be guarded that they would be pleasing to him. That's why the psalmist prayed. Psalm 19, David prayed, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And so we need to have our words before they're spoken, our acts before they're done. We need to have the thoughts of our heart, the meditations of our heart, pass through this filter, and be acceptable in his sight. Can we do this? (laughs) That's why we need the blood of Jesus, because we need it all bathed and washed in his blood. We need him as our mediator, because if we take this, then as a judge of our actions and words and thoughts, we see how we fail so frequently, so regularly, So consistently, we need the blood of Jesus to wash our every stain. And so, this applies to all of our life. Whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you think, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, let's come in the third place to apply the command, do all in the name of Jesus. Do all in the name of Jesus. Now, that means, first of all, you don't serve any other name. If we do everything in his name, as one commentator pointed out, this very command demonstrates the deity of Christ. Because if I said to you, do everything in my name, 
You would say that's blasphemy and you would be right. And to do everything in the name of any man, any creature, any angel would be blasphemy. We do what we do in the name of Jesus because Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is the living God. We don't do anything, we don't do all for sure in the name of Calvin or of Luther or of Whitfield or of Spurgeon or Pastor Chansky, Pastor Carlson, Pastor Smith, Pastor Kahn, or Pastor Martin. We don't do everything. We don't do it. We don't work in their names. We work in the name of Jesus. We don't go in the name of Baptist. Well, it's a Baptist church, so that's why we do this. No, we don't do anything because we're Baptist. We're Baptist because that's what we see in the Bible. It's in obedience to the word of Christ that we do what we do and that we are what we are. And so... No other name. We're not a church of a party. We're not a church of a movement. We're a church of Jesus Christ. And we know that there are many other such churches of Jesus Christ throughout this world. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Acts 4.12 And so we conquer in this name. The name of Jesus. So we don't serve another name. And we don't trust anyone else. Or we don't put our confidence in man. When we meet together, whether online or in this building, our confidence of being blessed is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not in the preacher. It's not in ourselves. It's not in men. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six. Another good verse to memorize. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Now we're not to call people fools. The Bible calls people fools. You trust in yourself. I got this. I know what I'm doing. I've been around the block before. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But he who walks wisely, that means not trusting himself, but trusting in the Lord, he will be delivered. Proverbs 3, 5-7 through seven. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Jeremiah seventeen five. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. So as we meet as a church we have no confidence in the flesh as I said with regard to our missionaries with regard to our conferences with regard to all that we do our confidence is in the strength of the Lord our God and that's why even with the situation that we're in and which can be very I I don't know about you I'm getting a little stir crazy getting a little tired of the four walls but our confidence is not that if I get out there I can do something Our confidence is God has this under his control. God sends plagues to Egypt for his purpose. And God has sent this plague to us, to the world, to accomplish his purpose. Our confidence is not in our ability. Our confidence is in our Savior. Furthermore, 
what this means as we apply this command. We do, or excuse me, let me say first, we speak all in Jesus' name. Now again, I, I said this very briefly earlier. Let me try to draw this out. We filter through this command all of our speech. So that means what? No lying. Kids, listen to me. Did you take this? No, I don't know anything about it. No lie is pleasing to our Savior. You cannot do that in Jesus' name. Do all that you do in the name of Jesus. No filthy speech. And it galls me that some preachers even take liberty to use filthy speech unbecoming. And we're even commanded in Ephesians, let no unfilthy speech, filthy speech rather, unwholesome speech, proceed from your mouth. No gossip and backbiting. It's not pleasing to Christ. If you heard, or do you know what so-and-so did? Gossip is not the will of Christ. No grumbling and disputing. We saw in the book of Philippians. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. No, do I have to? This is not the will of Christ. Well, what is? What kind of speech glorifies him? Well, praising. Giving of thanks in this very context. Thanksgiving gives grace. Teaching. Teaching the word of Christ. Admonishing, that's right here in the context. Teaching and admonishing one another. Psalms and hymns, singing praise. Wholesome speech that gives grace to those who hear. Building up one another. Yes, rebukes when necessary. Admonition, yes. These things to the glory of our Savior. Guard your tongue. Use this as a bridle. Is this speech... Can I do this in the name of Jesus? And then our deeds. Of course, automatically, this would rule out all immorality, whether movies or pornography or actual actions of fornication. This is not, we cannot do this in the name of Jesus. It's not according to his will. Cheating. I know that families are gathered in their homes, and maybe the students think, well, the teacher's not watching me as I take this exam. <laughs> but God is watching. You cannot do that in the name of Jesus. Idolatry. Taking that second command, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any image of what is in heaven above, on the earth beneath, in the waters under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. Don't make them, don't worship them. Have you noticed, maybe it's not so evident here in this country, but in countries where idolatry is rife, uh, especially in Roman Catholic countries, if I may say that, and without offense to our friends who may be tuning in, just ask the question, Honestly evaluate. Why is it that there are <clears throat> ten statues of Mary for every statue of Jesus? Because it's hard to make a statue of Jesus in Jesus' name and know that it's in violation of his command. <laughs> you can't do it. It's against his word. 
Read Exodus chapter 20, and you'll see that second command. Greed. Business deals. Oh, I can, if I, if I take a little off of the product and I can sell it for the whole price. Greed is not the will of Christ. Nothing. I won't do anything. <laughs> Doing nothing <laughs> is a choice. And that's not the will of Christ either. Whatever you do, do all. It doesn't say do nothing. It says do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Worship. Worship him. Yes, our, I said our worship is stained with sin, but that, that doesn't mean quit. We worship him in the name of his son. Cleansing our worship by his blood. We serve him. Yes, our service is not perfect. It's one of the griefs of those who serve Christ. Our service is as poor as it is. But still, but still, we serve him washed in his blood and we give our best to the master. Evangelism, speaking a word for Christ, is that according to his will? We know it is. Deeds of love and mercy and kindness through love serve one another. Galatians chapter 5. These are things, according to his will, good deeds done in Jesus' name. This is his will for us. And so we take this Swiss Army knife, and we use it in every situation. May the Lord help us this week. But I want to close with this word. How can you do everything in Jesus' name, or do anything, for that matter, in Jesus' name, if you're not in Christ Jesus. Now, you say, well, why would I want to do that? I'm not in Him, so it's not a big deal. Well, let's just think about it. What do we see in the world around us now? What kind of behavior has even made the news? Read this past week, how some are luring Instacart shoppers. You know, they go to the store, do their shopping, taking the risk of being exposed to virus, get their goods, would bring it to the house, and all for an, on the app they get, uh, they get paid through credit card. It's all worked through this app. And so they're lured to do this by the promise of a good tip. So they go to the store, expose themselves to the virus, get the goods, drop it on the porch, and then after the delivery, the person deletes the tip. That's despicable. Righteous man swears to his own herd and does not change. These people are luring with a promise which is not intended to be kept. Seeking to get the best service with a lie. We read of this Zoom app, which has been a blessing for people to be able to gather while they're not able to physically. And we've heard how this app has been hacked and how people have broken into meetings with racist comments and lewd pictures and foul speech breaking into a church's Bible study. 
You say, who would do this? People are doing it. Like you. Like me. People. Ordinary. Wicked. People. If you've done this or if you've contemplated breaking into this service with such, maybe you're tuned in because of you want to do that. You need a savior. I'm not making myself your enemy. You've done that. But I'll tell you as your friend, you need a savior. And here's the Lord Jesus who comes to save such despicable, wicked wretches like you. And maybe you're sitting there saying, I would never do such a thing. That's not me. I'm okay. There you are in your self-righteous pride. And the Lord Jesus came to save self-righteous, proud sinners if they repent. Remember what he said to the Pharisees. It's not the righteous. Those who think they're okay. They'll never come to him. Not the righteous. Sinners, Jesus came to call. And if you begin to see your pride as sin, that's the first step in coming to the Savior. See it, turn from it in its ugliness. And here's this Savior, a Savior who died, a Savior who rose. A Savior who who ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father in glory. And a Savior who reaches out to save miserable, wretched, wicked sinners. Calling them to turn from their sin and turn to Him. And be cleansed and pardoned and changed. As Jim Elliott, that missionary to Indians in South America, as he was wont to say, only one life. And by the way, he gave his life and was killed by these Indians. Only one life, he said, that soon will be passed. Only what's done for Jesus, only what's done in his name, will last. So don't waste the life and the breath that God has given you continues to give you, come to him for pardon and cleansing. And do it now. You know, it's reading just this afternoon an article, a little blurb, just a little few statements by Robert Murray McShane, who said, would that we had a sort of a, a jealousy that we would be jealous to see sinners saved. And I thought about that as I prepared this message, as I thought about preaching this evening. Am I jealous? Am I that eager? Do I have a longing? And I don't see your faces. You see mine. But I can say this, that God has given me a longing That through this message, you would come to faith in Christ and turn from your wicked sin, which is ugly in his sight, but ugly even in your own sight. And you know it. Come to him for cleansing, for pardon, for acceptance.
And then you'll find it your delight. Whatever you do, in word or deed, you'll be happy to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to you having considered these words, and we do desire that you would use them as a filter, as a tool to help us to turn from sin in word and deed, yes, even in thought, and that we would do all, we would say all, we would think all in the name of Jesus, being washed, having our conscience washed clean by his blood, that we would do it all for his glory, that we would do it all according to your word, and that we would do it all with confidence, not in ourselves, but in your strength. And so help, may this word spoken tonight, by your mighty working, by the power of your spirit, come home to hearts and save this evening. Use it to direct your people, to sanctify us, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Make us more like our Savior, who could say that he did everything pleasing to you. Hear us through his merits and for your glory. Amen.